Welcome to Trained, a podcast exploring the cutting edge of holistic fitness. I'm Ryan Flaherty, the Senior Director of Performance at Nike. On every episode, I call up the world's leading experts and athletes to talk about mindset, movement, nutrition, recovery, and sleep, all the ways to train your body and mind. Today, I'm chatting with a gold medalist swimmer who overcame not just the world's top competition, but also decades of racism. I had to protect myself from those stereotypes and misconceptions or even the negative history of swimming. And I also had to protect my dream from myself and my own doubts of, is swimming a sport that I can be good at? And that's really difficult because it's like, well, why don't I just go ahead and do track? People will like me there. Why don't I go ahead and do basketball? People will like me there. And so I think it's challenged me in that way where if something is really important to you, like so, so important to you and you love it to your core, then nothing should stand in your way. That was Simone Manuel, who in 2016, at just 20 years old, became the first black woman to win gold in an individual swimming event at the Olympics. The sport, Simone goes on to explain, has a difficult history of exclusion and segregation in America, where Jim Crow laws and their legacy made it almost impossible for black athletes to compete. But like Tiger in golf and Venus and Serena in tennis, Simone is breaking down barriers in swimming with her talent, skill, and a force of will. And like her mentors, she's hoping to inspire a generation of young athletes to follow in her wake. But my conversation with Simone isn't just about the barriers she's breaking. It's also about how she's breaking them. We get into how she balances rigorous training with emotional well-being, how she uses self-talk to buoy her confidence, and above all, how her love for the sport has guided her through every stage of her career. Hey, Simone. Hi. Thank you so much for being here today. It's really nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. First off, swimming is one of those sports that's just unique in that most swimmers start at a very young age. Did you have a family member or a parent that was a swimmer? Yeah. So I started swimming at the age of four. My two older brothers at the time were on a swim team in the summer and I'm the youngest and the only girl and I always wanted to do what my brothers were doing. And so mm -hmm. I asked my parents if I could join the swim team and they were like, no, you're four. Like you can't join the swim team. And I kept bugging them. So they decided that they would put me in swim lessons and claim that as my swim practice while my brothers were actually going to swim practice for a swim team. And I took to the water very naturally. And the second day of swim lessons, I swam across the pool. Whoa. Yeah. Four years old is pretty early. And I think I fell in love with the sport just because I loved water. My mom and dad used to always tell me that bath time was my favorite time of the day. And I just loved <laughs> to play in the water. And so being able to swim was just another chance for me to get to play in the water. Yeah, I totally get it. I have a two-year-old and bath time is his absolute favorite thing. <laughs> did you play any other sports growing up or did you specialize in swimming right away? I played basketball, volleyball, soccer. I did ballet from two years old to 12 years old, I believe. Oh, wow. I think my parents wanted me to choose my passion. They didn't want to decide, oh, you're good at swimming, so you do it. Because mm -hmm. I feel like sometimes when that happens people get burnt out or they're actually not doing a sport that they genuinely love. Yeah. I think in the society we live in today, parents are trying to specialize earlier and earlier. And I, I think it's taking away 
from A, the experience and the fun of it, because you don't get a chance to really get a taste of everything to see what you really like. Mm -hmm. But also, I think a little bit of becoming an athlete, too. There's something about becoming more well-rounded, you know, whether it's training different energy systems or strength abilities. Do you agree with that? Absolutely. I think overall, I definitely gained athleticism for playing other sports. But I also think that I learned different things from playing different sports. Mm -hmm. Swimming's a very individualistic sport. It definitely has the team aspect. But when you think about swimming versus basketball, those are two different ways of thinking or competing. And so I had to learn how to work with teammates, understand plays, and just have this athleticism and work ethic that's different than I believe swimming is. But I think overall, it really just boils down to not forcing your children to do something just because you think they're good at it at age eight. When they're 12 years old, they're a different person. Their body has changed and developed. One, they may not love that sport anymore, but two, they also may not be as good in it. And so it just allowed me to kind of see what did I love to do and what was I good at? Yeah, I love that. How did you balance training for the Olympics while still in high school? When I was in high school, my practice hours spent were maybe 16 hours. Now it's 20 hours plus three hours Mm -hmm. in the weight room. But I think the way that I balanced it, especially with school, was just trying to get ahead of work. I communicated very well with my coaches and also my teachers on my schedule and what was to be expected at the beginning of the year because I not only practice so much, but swim competitions typically last five, eight days. And so you're missing a week of class when you're competing at a high level. But also the way that I balanced it was just asking for help and also just knowing that this is a part of the reality of the situation that I'm in. Mm -hmm. My parents were very adamant about if I wanted to swim, I had to make sure that my grades backed it up as well. And so... I had to really put in the effort to focus on school and swimming at the same time. So I want to talk to you a bit about your coaches who were with you throughout your time at Stanford, but also while you're preparing for the Olympics. How important have those relationships been to your success? Yeah, so I work with um, Greg Meehan and Tracy Slusser. And picking Stanford, I knew that I wanted to go to a school that had the best balance between academics and athletics. But obviously on the swim side, I wanted to go somewhere where I felt like I was going to improve and reach the goals that I had for myself. And a lot of that came from the coaching staff. And so I feel like I built trust with them pretty early on because they always asked me what goals they thought that I could achieve. And I told them, they're like, okay, let's do it. There just always was a collaboration There's a lot of communication. I feel like I have a pretty high swimming IQ. And so I like to tell my coaches like, hey, maybe this, maybe that, and then hear Mm. what they have to say and see how it's going to work for both of us. Because all of us have different styles, different ways of training, different ways of thinking and doing. And I just never felt like there was any backlash. I always felt like they were always open and honest and listening. Yeah. One of my favorite things about my coaches is that they really challenge me and I'm someone that always wants to do something better than I did it before. (laughs) And they've given me some pretty hard sets. And it's just one of those things where I feel like it just shows the respect that they have for me, knowing that we can give you this set 
And whether you fail or succeed, like this is something we think that you can be good at and we're going to give it to you and challenge you. And that's something that Mm. I love the most about my coaches is that they give it to me straight and they just, they mesh well with my personality as well. (laughs) It's such an amazing relationship, I think, in in someone's life. The amount of time you spend together, the amount of trust there is and how open you have to be with each other to be able to get the most out of that relationship. And it's a really amazing and important bond. So you won gold in 2016, right? At a like pretty young age. Mm-hmm. To reach success at that age requires quite a bit of maturity because of what comes with success a lot of times. I know working with some of the athletes I work with, when they get their first big contract, like if they're not prepped for that mentally and maturity-wise, like there's a lot of bad things that can happen when you're not quite ready for that level of success. How did that moment change your life? At that time, I would say it didn't really change my life. I won gold and obviously still had two more days of competing. So it's not like I really thought too much of it. But after the Olympics, I kind of went on a media tour, went to different states and did interviews. But that ended kind of quickly because I went back to college. And I think that it quickly made me have a, quote, normal life. And so I didn't get stuck in that space of I'm an Olympic gold medalist. And I was like, well, now I'm back at Stanford and our team wants to win an NCAA title and I have classes to go to. (laughs) And so I think that at that time, my life didn't really change because I didn't have like the typical like celebrity moment. I don't even know if Mm. there is a such thing as that. (laughs) Yeah, but it also kind of highlights something that I find true with a lot of top athletes, not about the gold as much as it's about you doing your best and everything you can to just get that opportunity. And then whether you win or lose, it's not about that. It's about the journey, about the process, about everything you put into that seems to be your MO too. Yeah. So what are you motivated by? What's driving all of this? I'm motivated about just getting better. I'm not a very complacent person at all. I'm always setting goals and looking forward to what's next and what I can do better. And I think sometimes I do it to a fault. I'm someone that I cannot turn off my brain to save my life. It takes a lot of work (laughs) for me to not think at 100 miles a minute. But I think that's just something that motivates me is constantly seeing what limits I can push beyond what I've already achieved. One of the areas that I'm kind of obsessed with talking about with athletes, especially athletes of your caliber, is the mental side of the sport and performance. Mm -hmm. I would love you to share a few of the tools you use from not only a mental health standpoint, but mental performance. And then Mm -hmm. also if there's any like pre-race routines you go through mentally, your breathing exercise you do, would you mind sharing some of that with us? Because I know it's incredible the level you guys use it at, but I think it can help all of us wherever we are, you know, in life and, and help us perform better too. For me, definitely would have to be positive self-talk. I'm someone where if I am not thinking positively, there's no way I'm going to be successful. Mm. But if I am thinking positively, about 95% of the time, I probably will be successful. I think when you have a positive attitude, it definitely just changes your demeanor, but also your energy. What are some examples of your self-talk? Like, what are some of the things you say to yourself? In practice, a lot, it's simply like, you can do this. Mm. When you get to a really hard set and you're extremely exhausted and you're about to push off the wall and you're breathing really hard, sometimes you're like, oh my gosh, <laughs> not sure if I can make this one, but it's like, you can uh-huh. do this. Like, you you can do this. I think at the end of the day, it's just one of those things where I want to have positive energy regardless of if I succeed or fail. We're all going to fail, but I think that it's really important to put that positive energy out there because most likely if you put that positive energy out there, then you're going to be successful. Why would I push off the wall and be like, oh my gosh, last one? There's no point 
in doing something if you're not going to do it to the best of your ability. Where did that belief come from? Definitely my parents instilled it in, in me. They would always tell my older brothers and I, do your best when we're competing because it's so easy to compare yourself to someone else and what they're doing. It's so easy to feel like you're behind if someone beats you in a race or scores more free throws than you or gets more playing time than you. But mm -hmm. they would always just remind me, do your best. And I really think that stuck with me because if I'm doing my best, nobody else can tell me I'm not doing what I need to do. Whether I win or lose, I know that I went out there and I tried my best. Well, your parents are brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> So we talked about motivation and mentality, but I do want to take some time to focus in on our current environment. Depending on who you are, there's different layers to what's happening right now, right? We, we have the pandemic, for you, the Olympics. What are some of the different things you've been going through personally? Like, is there anything unique that you've been processing as all this has come down? Yeah, I think every day is a battle in itself. Some days are definitely better than others because even now I'm practicing at Stanford, but I'm getting up every day like not knowing when my next competition is actually going to be. And mm -hmm. I'm optimistic, but I'm also very realistic. And I'm like, okay, well, are the Olympics actually going to happen? Yeah. But I'm also someone where it's like, at the end of the day, I love to swim. And so I'm getting up to go to practice because I love to swim and I want to continue to push my boundaries and work hard. And so that's one thing that keeps me really motivated because eventually swimming will come back. Eventually competition will come back. And whether it comes back next year or two years from now, I want to be prepared and ready to swim fast. So it's definitely a roller coaster of emotions where some mornings, I'm not going to lie, it's really hard to get up. It's really hard to get up when things are normal. So even now, yeah. <laughs> it's even more difficult to get up. And so mm -hmm. I just have to try to have positive self-talk, consistently remind myself that I knew I wanted to swim past 2020, and so my career is not over. And so I still have to train and get strong and get better. I've talked a lot with my sports psychologists about my emotions. I've talked to my teammates, my parents, people who can support me and understand where I'm coming from when I'm feeling doubtful or unmotivated. And I think that really helps because it just allows me to have an outlet to really express my emotions. So I want to focus in on training and, and training specifically for swimming. I've trained a lot of NFL linemen and after their career's over, especially with injuries and knee issues and joint issues, traditional running and cardio is really hard on their body. So I usually have them like go straight to a swim program. And I've had a couple of my linemen lose like 150 pounds doing that in, in this, you know, six month off season of just swimming. And I, they're always like, I didn't realize swimming was such a great workout, you know, because it's such a full body exercise yes. and it doesn't look like it's that hard, but you're burning so many calories doing it. It's a fantastic way to train. So I'd love if you'd walk us through just a couple typical days of your in-water training, like on Monday and Tuesday of each week, what sort of swimming routine do you do? On Monday mornings, coming off the weekend, since we don't swim Saturday afternoon into Sunday, so that's a long time out of the water. Monday morning, we just do a good pull, kick, swim set. For those of us that don't know what that is, how would you, how would you explain that? <laughs> um, <laughs> so kick sets, usually you just use a kickboard, just do some strong kicking, probably like 1,200 meters. Okay. And then pull sets, you put a pull buoy in between your legs and you're just using your arms. It's really great for connection and kind of taking your legs out of it and really using your mm. core stability. 
And then Monday afternoon, we do what is called buckets or power towers. And so you put water in the bucket and you just swim back and forth against the resistance just to feel strength and connection in your stroke, just using that resistance as a means to fix areas in your stroke that aren't efficient and also just provide you strength because you're pulling weight in the water. And then we'll take the towers off and do fast swimming or pace off of that. So that's just race pace. That practice is like an hour and 15, so it's short, but like really jam-packed with a good amount of speed. And then Tuesday is a single day, and that usually consists of a good amount of kicking and swimming. So it's, it's pretty much all fast once we get into the main set. It can range between a lot of 50s at 200 pace with some fast kicking in between, or 100s kick fast, 100s swim fast. That's kind of just the general flow is fast kicking and fast swimming. So how about your out-of-water strength training routine? I change my weight session very regularly because I'm someone that responds to different stimuli very quickly. And so I just need change and a difference. But it's like cleans. I'll do barbell squat jumps, switch lunge jumps, some sprint runs up a hill or just sprint runs in general a lot of box jumping as well. Not too much bench press push-ups, TRX, core work, a lot of plank, leg lifts, arm lifts, just to kind of mimic what swimming actually is on land. A lot of my work revolves around jumping. And now I've currently been doing a lot of powerful medicine ball throws, like rotation, jumps with a medicine ball where I'm mimicking my actual start off the blocks and I throw the ball as I'm jumping forward. So a lot of things mimic my swimming, but also just really reinforce power. When you started to integrate that into your swim training, did you notice a big difference? Like, was there a moment where you like, whoa, like I'm starting to really feel the strength that I'm developing in the weight room impact my swim? I think so. As someone who didn't really lift at all much in high school, I, but I think once I got to college and I really started to do lift training, there was a little adjustment period because I put on weight very easily as a very muscular and athletic person. So my freshman year, I definitely got stronger and I improved swimming wise, but I also put on a good amount of weight, a good amount of muscle. And so I had to dial that back with my coaches and really communicate with them on different ways that I could have strength, but also not get too bulky. Because obviously if I'm too bulky, I'm not going to be able to swim fast because I'm carrying more weight. The moment that I started lifting weights, I felt that strength because I'm just someone that is, my coach likes to call it a power athlete that I just like the feeling of power. And so as soon as I started lifting weights, I think very quickly I could tell that it was working. (laughs) working. Yeah. When we come back, Simone talks to us about how she balances her training and emotional well-being, the challenges she's faced as a black woman in a predominantly white sport, and where she sees her career going next. If you're enjoying this episode of Trained, here's some good news. You'll find more wellness expertise every day on Nike.com, the Nike app, the Nike Run Club app, and the Nike Training Club app. You can learn more about movement, mindset, nutrition, recovery, and sleep, and you can get started on a workout as soon as you finish this episode. So we talked a lot about, you know, the amount of time you spend focused on swimming and both in the pool and on dry land. But for you mentally, how do you avoid burnout? Like, how do you stay balanced? I've always been someone that when I'm at the pool, I focus on swimming. And once I leave the pool, 
I don't even know what swimming is. And that's something I've done Mm. since I was younger. And I think that has really helped me mentally not always think about something that is so important in my life. Swimming is very important in my life, but also at the same time, in order for it to remain such an important aspect in my life, I have to sometimes just like ignore it. And so that also is like a big part of my recovery as well is just like swimming stays at the pool. My personal life, I'm going to watch some TV, you know, get my nails done, all those things, (laughs) cook some delicious meals. And I think that really has benefited my success in a lot of ways. Yeah, we have to have breaks from what our biggest passion is and something we do all the time. You have to take time because otherwise you could lean to burnout. Interestingly enough, like a lot of my individual athletes, my track and field athletes, I have a few pro golfers I work with that, you know, for a lot of them, like their friends and their support system, like are not in that sport. Like they're, they've, they're far away from the sport as possible because you spend so much time in the sport, like mm-hmm. to have all your best friends in the sport too. You just can't get away. Yeah. I mean, I definitely love my teammates. We'll go out and have fun together, but I roomed with them, I think my freshman year summer. And I was like, nope, I can't do this. <laughs> because like you said, people think differently. Some people it's fine. And then for me, I was like, we are talking about practice. We just got back from practice. I don't yeah, want to talk right, about yeah. it. <laughs> um, yeah, I have definitely friend groups outside of the swim space. Yeah, for sure. And something I do want to talk to you about, I I read recently in an interview that you said the success that you've had in the swimming pool is a protest in and of itself. And I'd love to hear how that's challenged you and how it's motivated you as a swimmer you are today. One of the biggest ways that has challenged me would have to be, and I've said it before, was really protecting my dream from not only myself, but also from others as Mm. a minority in the sport of swimming and knowing the history of swimming in the United States and how there was a lack of access for Black Americans and Jim Crow laws and even brutality around the swim space, I knew that the swim space wasn't a space that was inclusive of people that look like me. It wasn't a space that people really cared to see someone that looked like me in the sport. And I think we can say the same thing about Venus and Serena, knowing that they've you know, not been invited to tournaments. You can say the same thing about Tiger Woods. It's like, all right, we're in 2000 and people are getting kicked out of tennis courts and pools, like seriously. And so I had to protect myself from those stereotypes and misconceptions or even the negative history of swimming. And I also had to protect my dream from myself and my own doubts of, is swimming a sport that I can be good at? Is swimming a sport that I can excel in knowing that there are all these, I wouldn't say odds stacked against me, but there are going to be some trials that I'm going to have to face because of the color of my skin, not because of Mm -hmm. any other reason, but because of the color of my skin. And that's really difficult because it's like, well, why don't I just go ahead and do track? People will like me there. Why don't I go ahead and do basketball? People will like me there. And so I think it's challenged me in that way where if something is really important to you, like so, so important to you and you love it to your core, then nothing should stand in your way. And I know that's it seems easy to say, but it is much harder. And I understand why people maybe walk away from experiences because of the trauma that they've dealt with. But I think that it has just challenged me to continue to just protect what's important to me. And to me, that is 
swimming. And swimming is a big part of who I am, a big part of the lessons that I've learned and the people that I've met and the people that I've been able to inspire. And that's why I feel like I've been able to continue to consistently show up even in a space that wasn't created for me. And I hope that I'm inspiring people as someone who was so inspired by Venus and Serena just by their presence and existence in a sport that they are minorities in. It really inspired me to do the same thing in swimming and hopefully inspire others to do the same thing in swimming because I would love to see swimming more diversified, but also just in every facet of life. I think that there are a lot of areas in our society where people are excluded or felt like they don't fit in. And I feel like that shouldn't be the case. As you mentioned, we're human beings, we're people, we all belong. And I think that as a society, that's something that we all need to hone in on, but also work to change. I I couldn't agree more. It's amazing the impact that one person can have on a sport or really on society. Mm -hmm. For so long, like the four minute mile was seen as this unachievable feat, but the year after it was finally broken, you know, 70 more people broke that time. It was almost like people just needed to see another person do it. And what we believe has such a huge impact. And I I think for a lot of people, you know, you just being in the pool in the Olympics on TV is like breaking that four minute mile, just showing people that it's possible. Thank you. Is there any advice that you would give yourself as a teenager or a young woman who wants to be the best in the world at whatever they do, whether it's giving advice to yourself when you're younger or somebody else who's looking or listening in or looking up to you? So I would definitely have to say what I mentioned before is protect your dream. I think that Mm. in any area of life that there are going to be doubters, there are going to be naysayers, and there are going to be people that won't uplift you, that will hold you down. And so I do think that it's important that if something is very crucial and important to you that you protect that, that you keep it safe and close to your heart and you continue to work through those trials and tribulations to achieve your goals. And I think beyond that, this is really just follow your passion. I think you're your best when you do what you love. You're your best when you are you, be unapologetically you, because I'm someone where people may not like what I say, people may not like what I do, but if I'm happy with who I am, if I feel like I've done my best, then that is what I should be pleased with. The one thing that always blows me away about some of the top athletes when I get a chance to work with them is when you meet them, they almost have this like super naive belief in themselves where like, you're like, whoa, like you're really, you really like believe in yourself. And it's, it's like against all odds, they, they believe in their dream, regardless of what anybody around them told them. Have you always had that, like from a young age, like that really deep belief in yourself that you were destined for, for greatness and you, you were going to go get that dream? Was there ever a time in your career where someone questioned you know, your greatness or whether or not you had potential to be great? I do think that I genuinely kind of had this belief that I was always destined for greatness. I think a lot of that goes back to my parents because I feel like they've always instilled a lot of positivity in my two older brothers and I. And as someone who is the only girl and has two older brothers, I always felt like I could keep up with my brothers. My brothers are two of my biggest inspirations because when I was younger, I would go out in the front yard and play basketball with them and they would just let me play. They didn't care. They didn't take it easy on me. They just let me play. And I think that really just showed a sense of respect. They weren't being mean, but they were just like, okay, she wants to play, keep up. And they let Mm -hmm. me, they never made me feel like I couldn't do what they were doing because I was a girl or because I was younger than them. But I think 
One of the biggest moments that stands out for me when someone told me in a way that I couldn't be good at swimming was I was at the gym working out and someone came up to me and asked me, oh, like what sport do you play? And I told them that I swim. And they were like, well, why would you do that? And I was like, because I like it. And I like to think that I'm generally someone that is pretty humble. And so I don't really talk about my accomplishments. I don't like really say much of anything. And they kept going back and forth with me telling me, well, you look like you can run track or you look like you're good at volleyball Mm -hmm. because I was doing box jumps and things like that. And finally, I just responded back to them after we went back and forth a couple of times. I said, I'm good at swimming and I swim because I like it. I hold an American record. (laughs) And that was it. Yes, Because I just was like, I can't believe this person in the gym is really questioning me on if I can be good at swimming. Why does it even matter if I'm good at swimming? If this is what I like to do, that should have been enough of an answer in itself. Mm -hmm. But I just was like so over it. And that's really difficult because I knew where the question was coming from. I knew that the guy didn't expect that there was, there was no way that she could be good at swimming or even swim at all because she's Black. And that was really difficult for me as well. But either way, I feel like no one should really be questioned for what they love to do. No. And I think the beauty of that story too is that idea that when we say things out loud, it makes it almost to the point where it's so real that like, oh, I put it out there now. I like got to follow up with it. You know, it's interesting because I always tell a story to my young athletes that Muhammad Ali said, I'm the greatest, I'm the the best in the world and the world's greatest before he was the the champion. He had not won a belt yet. And he was putting that out there. Like, I think it's such a lesson in like that idea of self-talk or that just saying is believing in a weird way. You definitely have to speak things into existence. You got to throw it out there. Yeah. And it's, it's such a powerful tool. So I, I love that you did that. Okay, if you ever decide you want to move on to the next phase, you're like, so what, what, what's next for you after swimming? It would have to be definitely teaching more minority children to learn how to swim. That's mm. the biggest thing for me because the drowning rate, it's the second leading cause of unintentional death for children under the age of 13. So I just want to wow. teach swim lessons because I think that it's a life-saving skill. So that's something I really want to devote a lot of my life to. I've gotten very interested in the mental health aspect as someone who has used a sports psychologist and seen the importance of it, but also knowing that it is something that athletes genuinely don't talk about openly and that humans don't talk about openly. And it's something that has just really been fulfilling to kind of share my experience with others. And I would love to help people in any way that I possibly could. That's my, one of my biggest passions in the world. Yeah. It wasn't until I started to work with athletes, started to you know, educate myself on it, working with some of the top sports psychologists in the world. And you start to see like, oh my gosh, I'm putting these tools in place in my life. And I'm like seeing a massive result from it. Mm-hmm. How come we don't share this more often? Like, why is this not so much more, you know, widely known? Or just destigmatizing it. Obviously, we know there's just a huge stigma. It's like, I think the people that have been able to have the resources can see the importance, but... There also are the people that are like, if I talk to somebody about my problems, then I'm crazy. And I thought that too. I was like, yeah, I don't need somebody to tell me that, mm-hmm. you know? So I think that that's the biggest thing is definitely destigmatizing it, especially in the athletic community. I couldn't agree more. Such a worthy mission. Simone, thank you so much for coming on the show today. I'm, I'm a huge fan of yours. I know everyone here at Nike is too. So keep crushing it and we'll be cheering you on. Thank you. 
It's hard not to be inspired when you hear Simone talking about her dedication to training, her love of swimming, and her determination to not let anything or anyone stand in her way. But what really struck me about our conversation is that she's not just in it for herself. She's only 24 years old, but she's already thinking of her legacy in terms of what she can give to the next generation. An athlete of her caliber getting into the pool with a bunch of kids and teaching them the breaststroke, that's a powerful image. And it shows that she already has the wisdom to know that her sport, and for that matter, any sport, can have impacts that go way beyond the win. Next week, I'll be talking with Dr. Aliyah Crum, a research psychologist exploring how our mindset impacts our performance and why the placebo effect is more important than we think. If you've enjoyed this episode of Trained, help us spread the word by rating and reviewing the podcast. That way we can keep making great episodes for you to listen to. And it helps other people find us too. If you've got a question for me or my guests or a topic you'd like to hear covered, email me at trained at nike.com and I'll see what I can do. This has been Trained. Talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to Trained. Just a reminder, always talk with your doctor before starting any training or nutrition program. The information we provide, it's not a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. And the individual opinions expressed here are just that, opinions. They shouldn't be taken as fact.